If you would please turn to the Gospel of Luke. I'll be reading Luke chapter 17, verses 22 through 37. And Jesus said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they'll say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. And on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who was on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who was in the field, not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I have one simple prayer, that by the power of presence of your spirit operating in me as a teacher that I represent your intention in these words when you originally spoke them and that you by your spirit give us alert minds and give us soft hearts to hear to receive and to love the beauty of your two comings. To the glory of your Father, whom you have made our Father through your life, death, and resurrection, I pray. Amen. We began this passage last week. The whole thing together has two sections. Last week we saw the first section, verses 20 and 21, where Jesus responds to the Pharisees' question, when is the kingdom of God coming? 
The second section is verses 22 to 37, where Jesus then turns to his disciples and speaks about the same topic of the coming of the kingdom. And as we saw last week, together, these passages are showing this twofold nature of the promised coming of the kingdom of God. That in Jesus' first coming, while He's standing there speaking in our text, the kingdom came. And it came powerfully. It came, and ever since, that kingdom, that rule of God spiritually is present. But, there's still the not yet to the kingdom when it comes to its consummation, its fullness. And this morning's section is essentially what Jesus is speaking of. The consummation of the kingdom coming, which when He spoke it and today is still future. Let me just make a comment first. Eschatology end time events, what Jesus is speaking of, has to do with eschatology, the end time events. Bible prophecy about what will happen, they're not given to us so that we can sit around and speculate about the end time. So that we can say, did you hear what's happened in Syria lately? In the Middle East? Oh, that means this, that, and the other. They're important, but not for that reason. They're important because Bible prophecy that still looks to the future is always given so that we will apply it to how we live our lives today in light of the reality of Jesus' coming back in judgment and in the consummation of His salvific kingdom. Specifically, Bible prophecy is crucial that we understand how I personally live and trust in Christ and His promises today really is connected to what will happen personally to me one day when He returns. Because in our text this morning, Jesus makes it clear there is a horrific judgment that will come. And it will fall, and it will surprise, and it will be sudden, and it will be swift. But all who now, today, are in His kingdom, the presence of His kingdom, it will be a glorious day. See, if today you have entered into the kingdom of God, that is very present through the gospel of Jesus Christ, if your heart has been renewed by the Holy Spirit to see the beauty and the value and the preciousness of the person of Jesus and His life and His death and His resurrection, or as Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can never enter the kingdom. But if you have entered the kingdom then you absolutely will be in that future consummation of the kingdom without a doubt. He will lose none of you. Why is that? 
Because, as our text says, those who are in the kingdom, that is, disciples, they take heed to the warnings that we read here this morning in order that they endure and persevere to the end. So if you're there in Luke 17, we start with verse 22. And then Jesus turned to His disciples and He said, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And Peter, Matthew, Jane, Mary, you won't see it. He says to His disciples who are presently in the present manifestation of the kingdom spiritually, that things will get so bad, you will yearn. Please, come, Lord Jesus. Come back. The days of the Son of Man. And what Jesus does here is He shines a light onto believers' hearts. That as time passes, life circumstances, persecution, Cause this yearning. Deliver us. He knows that's coming. And so he gives warnings that deliverance may not come right now for you. But with that yearning, he gives the warnings to not listen to false prophecy. False messiahs. False doctrines. He encouraged all of His disciples to endure to the end. Notice He says, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Okay, He's referring to Himself, but in the third person with this term Son of Man, He does not mean by Son of Man His Human nature, as opposed to His divine nature. That's not what it meant for Jesus. He meant what was written about Him. It's actually a term that refers to a very divine person, kingly person, bearing the coming of the kingdom in the clouds of heaven. That's where Jesus gets this term. For instance, in Daniel chapter 7. Hundreds of years before His coming, it's prophesied about the Son of David, about the Messiah. And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. There it is. There came one like a Son of Man, and He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus, you're going to desire to see that coming. Prophesied in Daniel about me. In Matthew, you're not going to see it. 
It's much further in the future. You'll already be dead waiting for it. And when he says one of the days of the Son of Man, he's referring to that, not the coming of the kingdom that we saw last week is already present, but the future consummation of the kingdom that brings final judgment and final resurrection and salvation for those who are His. He uses the term days, plural, as opposed to the way it's usually said in the Bible, the day of the Lord, or that day when He is revealed. I think he does that because of the analogies he will go on to use about the days of Noah in the days of Lot. And so this, like their days, that coming is going to happen. And like those analogies, judgment's going to come. But here's the lesson for the disciples and for us today. You will face times when you will inwardly long to see Jesus return in power and glory and finish this thing up and put away Evil, but you will have to wait because the time is not yet. They may be overcome in particular times over the last two centuries or today in particular cultures where evil and murder and governmental legal murder is rampant. Family problems, marital problems that just get so heavy, health problems. You might live in a day to even just say, I believe marriage is between one man and one woman. And that's its definition. And you're called a bigot and a hater. And so you yearn. How long, O Lord? Deliverance is coming. And it's coming for sure is Jesus' message. But until then, His disciples must patiently endure and wait. Now, think about this. Peter is there that day. When Jesus spoke these words, and then after his death, and his resurrection, and then his teaching, and Peter's being taught, along with numbers of others, for five weeks after Jesus' resurrection. And then decades later, Peter writes to the church because what we hear Jesus say is so central to what biblical Christianity is. And so Peter says, mockers will come following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as it was from the beginning of creation. Christian. Peter ends it this way. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth 
and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Jesus spoke, it's coming. No matter how long it takes, it'll come. And Jesus' warning here to His people is to not let your desires that cause impatience, that want relief, please come back, Jesus, as You promised. Don't let those desires, which will come, mislead you. In other words, don't listen to claims. He's come back over there. The answer of Jesus and the Messiah is over here. Don't follow them, he says. Now, why does he say it? Why does he say, you don't even need to have an ear for any of that stuff? Because you're not going to miss anything. What is Jesus' argument? It's right there. You can be sure that those people are absolutely wrong. Why? Because when I do come back, it will be cataclysmic. Every eye will see. That's the reason. And that's what he says. See, start with verse 23. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out and follow them. For, that means here's my reason, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other. Guess what? You're, you see lightning? One side of there, it's visible. It's not hidden. Everyone sees it. So will the Son of Man be in His day. And so, as Christians wait, wait, and for now, 2,000 years, and they don't see His coming, false Christs, will rise. Disciples will be tempted to turn to those who seem to have the answers that we want right now. And Jesus says, ignore them. Don't go. I'm going to make a stretch. There's no reason to have to go to Toronto in 1995. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Or Pensacola, Florida. Or Redding, California. Or we can go back centuries where this stuff is. There's the answer of what God's doing. Powerfully. We are always finite, broken, sinful, mortal people being saved. Vulnerable to the temptation of turning to quick fix answers rather than patiently waiting on the Lord and trusting the full clear gospel of Jesus Christ especially as Americans it's a country of pragmatism isn't it if it works that's the definition of truth and so, if things aren't fitting my timetable for what I think I want, you yearn. I got ears. Give me, give me different answers. You know? 
the gospel doesn't seem to be... No, 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 no. I mean, I love Jesus, and, but, but come on, help me. Give me something more. So, so you're hurting. You're impatient. And Jesus is not fixing your felt needs, your problems, as quickly as you would like. And someone says, try this approach. And it'll be Christianized. Always Christianized. We're Christian. Try it. It works. Don't go. Or new religious twists. Well, brother, sister, God understands. After all, God is love. I can show you First John. God is love. Direct quote. And so... He loves you. He doesn't want you to remain unhappy, staying married to that person. He's love. He wants you to be happy. Find it the way you think you want it. Right now. Oh, and this is always at the end of those. In Jesus' name. Amen. People flock to churches like that. To doctrines like that. Relief is here. We're always in danger of being led astray from the truth that is in Jesus. Satan does not dress up in red horns looking like a devil. Clothes himself as an angel of light. And he loves the word love, which truncates most of Jesus' other words. He loves it, and it works in church. And you, you might even be a big-time evangelical pastor with thousands that come to your church and tens of thousands who listen to you on the internet, and you finally come out in print with a book and call it. What's it called, Alex? You know these things. Love wins. Sounds great. Well, at least he's out in the clear that he doesn't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, which many people thought anyway. But love wins overall. No substitutionary atonement bearing the wrath of God in Christ. And there is no ultimate wrath for anybody. Jesus' warnings for your own lives. Because life can be very rough. Take Him seriously. There's all kinds of voices. My wife and I, we have family members. I'm trying to wrestle with this problem for years. Just raised within religion. I don't know if I call it Christianity. It's just so mushy and where their type of I love Jesus goes along with constantly living in fornication, bearing babies out of wedlock. And it's just no problem really for their idea that they're okay or they're saved. And we care about them. But there are, there's gospel so-called out there, church preaching out there that, that somehow just lets that not only its preaching, but the actual body life 
doesn't challenge so many people for their soul's sake. And months ago, we, we, got, we, we got text, an email of, of one family member who we love and in his 30s and crisis hit life, broke up with his girlfriend and, and then these things, I'm going back to church and in Bible study and all excited. Okay, okay, we listen. And it, overall, it was what I was listening for that I just don't hear. The gospel. But we st- let's pray for them. So just let me give you a taste of what this burst from. So this is a recent text. It's discouraging. Now I'll just leave the grammar there. Me and so and so got back together a while ago and we are engaged. And we just found out last week that we are expecting a baby. We are praying for a boy. So please pray, because we're Christians, so please pray a prayer for us from time to time. See, my point is not that believers don't sin. That, that, that my point is not that people can't get pregnant and it doesn't happen to people who are truly repentant and then they get married. That is not the point. The point is the way it's written is if there is no shame. That this is irrelevant to my loving Jesus. Okay. I know. Big side chat. We're coming back to text. Okay? I know that specifically, besides doctrines and hearing voices, that Jesus specifically in this text is referring to false claims of prophecy about the end time. The coming of the Son of of man. And so, the reason Jesus gives to not follow them is because as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. It'll be evident. It'll be crystal clear to all. Jesus stands in front of the apostles and many other disciples in His mortality. He's on His way to Jerusalem And he says, that coming in the clouds, that cataclysmic judgment and salvation, new heavens and new earth, it's coming. But, not yet, guys. See verse 25? But first... He, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. It's not coming yet. I've come. I've ushered in the kingdom. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And I'm going to fulfill Isaiah 53. He Himself bore our sins. The suffering servant passage. After that, Some time gap. We know now it's been at least 2,000 years. Well, almost in 8033, it'd be 2,000 years from when he spoke this. It'd be 2,000 years. Some time gap. He says, I am coming back. And when I do, it won't be obscure, 
and it won't be hidden. Like, remember last week? Look at verse 21. Like he said, Jesus, when is the kingdom coming? When, you, when is king coming and usher this thing in? You don't need to look anywhere. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Well, that was obscure because the Pharisees didn't see it. And some did see it. He says, when I come back again, it won't be like that. It'll be like lightning from one end to the other of the sky. Unavoidable to anybody. But at that point, it'll be too late to change sides. His point is, now is the time to enter the kingdom. And Jesus illustrates this second coming with judgment with two biblical, historical judgments of God. Pick up with verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, Fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus' point is you need to be ready for the absolutely certain coming day of judgment when I, Jesus, return. The people of Noah's time and Lot's time, if we know our Genesis passages, they were a particularly wicked people. But that is not the focus that Jesus brings out. The focus of those judgments that Jesus brings out is the normality of people and of everyday life. There's nothing wrong with eating or drinking or getting married, giving away your daughter in marriage or building or doing business. The problem was that the people in Noah's day went about life without any regard for God. And the warning of His impending judgment that delayed and delayed for a long time. But it finally came. The problem was that I'll hear none of it. And they laughed at Noah. And they ridiculed God's prophet. But when the flood waters started to rise, they stopped laughing as the ark 
was closed and locked. But then it was too late. And it's the same with Sodom. Lot and his family flee. And then suddenly, everybody is wiped out. Now, the whole point of Jesus here, of using these illustrations, is at the end. Verse 30. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That's going to happen to the earth by Jesus someday. But as he says in the text, but first I must suffer and be rejected. And that rejection of Jesus will go on until that second coming. That rejection of Jesus has been going on as the gospel goes out. He's being rejected. And then mercifully, others are flocking in to the kingdom in the hearing of that message of the kingdom. And that's been happening for 2,000 years and it's happening today. And I don't know how long we got, but it will continue to happen until the end. That the stories of Noah and of Sodom depict about what will happen when Jesus comes back. He says it'll be like this. People so excited working with the contractor and the house is almost finished and the bedrooms are like they like them. And yippee. Two people just get married, they're on an island on their honeymoon. Everything's looking up, man. Business is popping and the buying and the selling. Life is sweet. God? Yeah. I believe there's a God. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a pretty good person. He says that's how it'll be. And then suddenly. Shock. The Lord Jesus. That baby who is inseminated by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb, in true humanity who died. The one speaking in our text, in his resurrected body, he will suddenly come back. Then Jesus goes on to give a graphic description of what it will be like when He returns. Start with verse 31. On that day, let the one who was on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who was in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. So he says, look, it'd be like this. Guy's on his house. That really was 
our present-day patio. It's with patio, okay? He's, he's lounging around, and kaboom. From one end of the sky to the other, Jesus comes back. He says, don't take a moment looking back to save the photographs in your house. Why? Because you must flee the judgment. When I come back, Jesus says, I'm coming back. With judgment and salvation. If you're in the field, he says, don't turn back to go to your home and collect your valuables. And he sharply warns, remember Lot's wife. Fleeing Sodom, right? She loved Sodom. And she turned and she looked back. And she was consumed in the judgment of God. And Jesus says, why? Why am I telling you this? Here's His answer in verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will keep it. In other words, to be so attached to the things of this world that we want to hang on to them more than we want to hang on to God, to Jesus in His second coming, is to jeopardize your soul. But to let go of all the things that the world values and to live in the light of Jesus' for sure coming back one day, that results in saving. It results in eternal salvation through Jesus Christ and His work alone, through your faith alone. Clearly, Jesus' point here is that if you are not living that way now, then you'll look back then and be swallowed up in judgment. So he says to the disciples, remember Lot's wife. Jesus then explained that the second coming with judgment that's going to follow, it will discriminate between two seemingly equal persons. Two people lying in the same bed. Two women at work, grinding at the mill. One taken, one left. And there will be no mistakes with God's omniscience. It'll be a perfect separation of all of those who are in Christ, in all of those who are left to their hard-hearted unbelief. And Jesus says, outward appearance will count for nothing. God knows every heart. 
Now, this, they'll be taken, left. What's going on there? Just, just for a moment. I think because of the context of Noah and Lot and the man on the patio, don't go back, and the man in the field, don't go back. Because of the context, in other words, they're not going back. They're fleeing and getting away from it safely. The judgment is his picture because of that, that I think he means to say that those who are taken are taken for salvation. Those who are left are left for the horrific, perfectly just and holy judgment. But the main point is clear. When Jesus returns, all humanity will be divided into two groups. Those who in response to the work of Christ on the cross lived in this world for those last eight minutes of their life or 80 years of their life, they lived for the delight they find in such a salvation in the person of Christ. And those who lived, whether churched or not, with no genuine, worshipful desire for God through Jesus Christ, those will fall under the judgment. In the picture he gives, and, and be like bodies left for the vultures to devour. See, this dynamic of His first coming, His second coming, there's a time in between, is so central to Christianity. I'm going to flash forward a few decades and listen to the Apostle Paul speak to the church, the church at Thessalonica from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. See if you don't hear the reflection of Jesus' words here. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also are suffering right now. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief. Pause, isn't don't we want relief? Jesus promises it. There'll come the day where you will yearn to see one of the days of the Son of Man in relief. And the Holy Spirit promises now through the Apostle Paul, He will grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us. When? When, Paul? That's the next word, isn't it? If you're there. He will grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment 
of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. That's one side of it. Listen to the other side. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. He just said it so clearly there in 2 Thessalonians. The day of the Lord is coming and it's horrible. It's perfectly just and it's a horrible judgment and it is beautiful for all who have loved Jesus is appearing and coming in the womb of Mary to die for their sins because He will come back and consummate your salvation. Listen to how Paul encourages all of those who have embraced Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says it this way, The Lord Jesus Himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead, physically, in Christ, will rise first. Then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Judgment and the consummation of the kingdom of God will come suddenly and swiftly. That's what Jesus just told His disciples. And then His disciples say in verse 37, Where, Lord? And Jesus answers, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. What in the world? That question, it, in the context by itself, where, Lord, is kind of ambiguous. What are they asking? Are they asking, where are you going to come back? Or are they asking, where will this judgment be? Or are they asking, where will you take those whom you are taking? But Jesus' answer, where the dead body is, there the vultures will gather. That answer seems to answer the question clearly to me. That He's answering the question, where will the judgment be? Now, Jesus' answer, where the dead body is, where the corpse is there, where the vultures be, can be a little difficult to understand, I think, in itself, too. Let me just give you two very good, reputable scholars with come out with different nuances, because trying to think, what exactly is he saying here? For instance, Leon Morris says, quote, it could mean that just as vultures gather on dead bodies, so where the spiritually dead are found, there inevitably will there be the judgment. 
Now, I think that's possible. There's nothing in that interpretation that comes against, but it just is affirmed elsewhere in the Bible. But is, is that what Jesus meant? It's possible. But I, but I, I, I lean more towards Daryl Bach's view, where he says it could mean that when judgment comes, it'll be obvious. <laughs> Just as the location of a corpse is obvious by the presence of vultures. Okay, that's, I think that's what he means. Judgment, it's, it's going to be clear, it's going to be obvious. Jesus, where? No, you don't have to worry about that, guys. Trust me, you have to go looking around for it. It will be manifestly clear that I've come in judgment. And once the separation happens, there will be no turning back. And Jesus uses this very graphic. He, he he's, does this normally in His ministry. We've seen this for 17 chapters in Luke. You talk about a person who can be judged as harsh, the most loving man who ever lived, the eternal God in human flesh. But he uses this graphic image of vultures eating away dead bodies. Just a picture. The reality is much worse than that. Of the judgment to come. And so Jesus is saying, right now, it's not happening right now. It's going to happen way in the future. Right now, I've come to suffer and to die. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He will bear the wrath of God against Sinners who would believe in Him. He'll be raised from the dead. And He was. And He still remains, at this moment, the only human being to ever have been resurrected. I mean that in a way that refers to not a resuscitation of life like Lazarus, etc., but with a new, glorified, physical, yet beyond anything we know, type of physical slash spiritual immortal humanity in body. He is the only person it's ever happened to. But, when He comes back, He says, all who have loved His appearing will be in physical immortality, just like He has been for the last 2,000 years. I see the time, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to try to take the last two sermons, last week and this week, of this text, going all the way back to verse 20, and give you my restatement of it in about a minute and a half, okay? Some of you might say, hey, that was helpful. And if you don't, that's okay. Jesus is saying to them that day, the kingdom of God is present. One must hear the gospel of the kingdom about King Jesus and respond to Him and enter the present kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if they don't, then the future consummation will mean a horrible just judgment for them. Kingdom of God's present. But Jesus goes on in this text to make it clear that there is more to be expected. 
There is the consummation of the kingdom that's coming. But many of you, my disciples, you will long for it to come and it won't come as soon as you want it to come. When that happens, there's no need to be looking elsewhere for other tricks. There's no need to listen to voices that say it's going to happen over here or there. Because when I do come back, it'll be unambiguous. It'll come quickly. It'll come visibly for every eye to see. But the Son of Man must first be rejected and suffer many things. It's true. But down the road, the end will come. And when it does, in my second coming, the destruction upon the earth will interrupt normal, everyday life. Just like it did in Noah's day or in Sodom. When it comes, disciples, be ready to flee. Do not be committed to your possessions in your house because the attempt to try to preserve the things of this life will result in destruction. Only the willingness to love this life for the treasure of who Christ is will save your life for the eternal resurrection that is to come. There's no need to ask where this judgment will be. It'll be visible. And once it comes, it'll be too late. Where's the application? You haven't heard it yet? Jesus is pretty good at it. Just read Him. I'll just restate the application. The Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered, died, was buried, and was raised from the dead and taught for five weeks and then ascended on high to become our high priest at the right hand of God. He is coming again bodily in power and judgment and glory to be enjoyed and marveled at by all who belong to Him. And therefore, let me restate Jesus' application. Be ready, teenagers. Kids. Older ones like me. Middle-aged ones. Be ready for Jesus' return next week. Or 1,200 years from now. How? By trusting Him daily. Trusting the promises laid out in Holy Scripture. By daily repenting. Because you need to. All of His people need to. We are being worked on. So obey Him and work out your salvation with fear and trembling and experience the joy of His presence and the gospel of salvation that was purchased 
for you. I'm going to close by quoting three passages from the New Testament that are just so directly tied to Jesus' words here in Luke 17. And if you have not ever come to Christ, He says, come. There is a God. You're not Him. You've been created. And everybody knows how messed up we are towards that Creator inside and reflected on how we're messed up towards other persons He's made. It's called sin. And He has bore the sin, the punishment for it in His substitution for everybody who would flee to Him. And they will be saved and forgiven for all eternity to the glory of God who became a man in Jesus Christ for that purpose. And if you've come to Him, oh, just hear Holy Scripture. As I close, the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 9, verse 27 to 28, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, just flash back to his words. Oh, the Son of Man's coming. You'll see it from one end of the sky to the other. But first, he must suffer and be rejected. Hebrew writer agrees. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. This anticipation is called in the New Testament for Christians our blessed hope. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says it in Titus 2, verses 11 to 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, you've got to ask your question about what comes next. Is this you? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for our Blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come, search. The Apostle Peter simply exhorts us believers. Therefore, preparing your minds for action in life and being sober-minded, here it is. Set your hope 
Not on your child's education. Not on that spouse to be. Not on that house. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means His second coming. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, You are so present as our great High Priest, always making intercession on behalf of the sheep. As You pray that such a comforting prayer in John 17 that we call the high priestly prayer on behalf of all whom you're saving. We thank you that you have not only grabbed us who have fled to you for refuge, but we know that you will not lose us. You will keep us. And thus we battle against sin by the power of your Spirit. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we know it is you who is at work in us, causing it not only to will, but to complete that which you began. all who are yours so powerfully work in your people here at Sovereign Grace Fellowship and in your church universal to the glory of your holy name.